Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. so excited to tell you about an opportunity that's coming next year. Starting January 6th, we're going to be hosting a book club. Now you've listened to the podcast Nourish It Repeat, but did you know that the name is after a book I wrote in 2019 called Nourish It Repeat, A Busy Woman's Guide to a Healthier Mind, Body, and Life. We're going to be doing a deep dive into each chapter of the book all while sharing our struggles and our successes around food, our health, and busy schedules. Cost of the program is only $25, and it includes the book, access to the live book club meetings, and private Facebook community page. And if you happen to miss a meeting or two because it doesn't work with your schedule, we're going to be recording the session so you can watch the replay at your convenience. Again, Book Club starts Fridays at noon for nine weeks starting January 6th, and I can't wait for you to join me as we do this deep dive discussion. You can join the book club by going to bodymetricshealth.com or find us on all our socials, Facebook and Instagram at bodymetricshealth, and click on the link to join. We'll see you there. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish Heat Repeat. We are going to talk about one of my favorite topics today, uh, the topic of family-friendly meal planning. So as you know, I have five kids, so I feel like I am more than qualified to speak on this subject. Because let me tell you this, just because you're a dietitian doesn't mean that you will birth children who love to eat healthy. Like They have their own unique lists of preferences, of flavors and textures. And so finding cohesive meals that all seven of us can eat is definitely challenging, right? The more people, the more opinions. And sometimes those opinions aren't welcomed, (laughs) right? Right? After you spend so much time putting together a meal and you set it down on the table and you hear people complain, It's not always a great feeling. You know, my one son, Parker, is very in tune with flavors, which I think is really awesome, unless I'm the one cooking and he's tearing apart my meals. Like, you could have used some more lime juice in this, Mom. You know what? This would have been better with a little bit more cilantro. Great, Parker. Then you cook the meal, right? This is the best I could do if you want it to tastes different, by all means, go ahead and add more ingredients. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, wow, this is really awesome. Like he's paying attention to different flavors and textures. And then, like I said, there's days where, you know what, do it yourself. (laughs) So again, I'm kind of going to come at this topic from the professional side of it, like as the dietitian and giving you some tips on how to make your meals healthy and family friendly. And then I'm also going to come into this conversation from the angle of a mom of five and 
a mom of five kids that are running in all different directions every night and the reality of having to get dinner on the table and everybody fed. So I'm going to bring both of those hats to the table and give you some examples of what we do, what has worked for me, what we've tried and failed at, what we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and eventually became successful at. Um, Hopefully some of these tips will be helpful to you. Either you've already implemented some of these tips. Uh, Sometimes you may have tried these once and then thought they failed so they weren't for you, but you just needed to give them a little bit more time. And then maybe some of these are new. I've got 10 of them. I'm sure I'll throw in some extra tips along the way and some stories to share, but I want to give you hope in this episode. I want to show you that you can do this. You can do this hard thing. For some people, meal planning and cooking is a walk in the park. It's just something they do. And I know for others, this is something you struggle with. And so I want to come at this with empathy and compassion because it is hard in the beginning, especially when you've got lots of opinions or you have family members with texture issues or um, flavor preferences. So I see you, I see how hard you are trying and I just want to acknowledge all the hard work you've put into it so far. All right, so let's just jump right into this. Um, when you are finding recipes, so finding recipes sometimes is the most time-consuming part because where do I look for recipes? Which blogs do I go to? Which cookbooks? I mean, now we are inundated with recipes, right? We do not need to look far for recipes. I know sometimes I get ideas from the grocery store. They hand out little circulars with recipe ideas. Uh, Sometimes I look on, you know, all, um, is it allrecipes.com just for some quick ideas. Sometimes I'll go to some of my favorite blogs, like one of them being cookieandkate.com. Cookie is her dog, so it's not a baked good website. It's actually a vegetarian website. I always say if you want to eat more vegetables, find a good vegetarian blog. They're filled with ideas. She is a little bit more intense in her cooking, you know, meaning if you're just starting out, Uh, She does sometimes have long lists of ingredients in her recipes. So if that's intimidating to start out with, uh, I would maybe say don't start out with her. But, you know, you can just go to Pinterest and type in, you know, or just in your search engine, right? I'm looking for grilled chicken recipes and you'll have like 500 come up. So it's not necessarily the, the hard part of finding new recipes, they're out there. It's picking the ones and picking the right ones and not cooking things that your family will hate and getting discouraged by the process. So one of my tips is when you are finding recipes, try to find recipes that take half the time you think you would need. So if you're thinking, yeah, I could probably cook this in 45 minutes, try to find recipes that are 20. Because let's face it, cooking new recipes takes more time than what the recipe says you need. You've got to first collect all the ingredients. And some of those ingredients might be in the back of your pantry, if we're honest. 
right? So you've got to find the ingredients. Then you've got to measure the ingredients. I know for me, if the recipe is on my phone, it always times out. And then I got to put in my code again, look at the recipe, go over to the cutting board, go back to the recipe to double check myself. Wait, was that one third or two third cup? Am I supposed to chop or am I supposed to dice? I end up looking at that recipe like 600 times during the cooking process. So what's supposed to take 20 minutes always takes 40 minutes. So if time is not on your side, find recipes in half the time you think you're going to need because when you make it, it will double in time just naturally. It's, it's new. It's different. You're going to have to read the recipe more than once to get the idea of how to prepare it. Um, but where I find people sometimes go a little off or wrong or whatever the right word is, um, is they over anticipate how much time they're going to have to prepare meals and then they forget that real life happens and they've got to be helping out with homework while they're cooking or they've got to stop what they're doing and pick up a kid from practice or whatever the circumstances might be it just always takes longer than what you think so again try to find recipes in half the time you think it you would need all right uh, when you are writing out your meal plan for the week. So I personally am a big fan of meal planning for one week at a time. Um, there for a while, when my work schedule allowed for it, I was going to the grocery store twice a week just because I would try to replenish more produce. Uh, my work schedule does not allow for that at, right now. I can go once a week and um, which means I need to be prepared for the entire week, breakfast, lunches, and dinners. And that means my grocery trip is a lot longer <laughs> than what I want it to be. And I just have to be very careful because I don't have extra time to go to the store midweek. Um, of course, I will if I have to, but that's not how I want to spend my time. All right. What I found to be really helpful is when you're making your your plan for the week. So you're trying to figure out what do I want to make Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is I'm also at the same time creating my grocery list. It, you know, there's no easier time to make that grocery list than when you're looking at the list of ingredients that you need for a recipe. So I can check my cabinets, I can check my refrigerator, you know, do I have that ingredient? Do I have it in the portion that I need? And then if not, I add it to my grocery list. So I'm doing both of those things at the same time. All right. Um, we want to be efficient with our time because sometimes meal planning can feel like this overwhelming long process. And so if there are little tricks along the way that I can teach you to streamline that process, you'll be more likely to follow through. Now, when I do my meal planning, I do have my calendar right next to me. So I know exactly what kid has practice, who's working late, if anybody has any meetings that night. I always have my calendar next to the meal planning form that I fill out, which is really just a piece of paper. And let's be honest, most of the time it's the back of a kid's homework paper. <laughs> I don't know. I have this thing about wasting paper, so I just... I have, you know, tons of kids' homework sheets, and I just flip it over, and I write my grocery list and my meal plan on that. But I'm always looking at the, um, the calendar when I make the meal plan because 
I need to know what nights have to be a crockpot meal and what nights I can actually spend a little bit more time cooking. Another thing that I look at when I meal plan is the weather. Right? We're in fall right now. The weather is going to be turning to more, you know, colder, windier, snowy days, nights, and nobody wants a garden salad, you know, when it's snowing. We all want soup. We all want comfort foods. And so I tend to try to match up the recipes with the weather because we're more likely to want to eat it. All right. Um, another tip that I have is make sure that meal family-friendly meal planning is a family event. So you are not the only person responsible for coming up with recipes for the week. You're not. If you are cooking for more than one person, more than yourself, it is absolutely acceptable to get their input on what you're making because they're the ones that are going to be eating it. So one of the things that I do is, you know, when the kids were younger, I would give them cookbooks. Like, here's your cookbook, here's your cookbook, here's your cookbook. And everyone is responsible for finding one recipe in their cookbook that they'd like to try. And then we would go over it if, you know, if it was too complicated, we'd find a simpler version of it or, you know, just a, a different version of it. But I would have them participate in the meal planning process. I told you, this is what, I told you this in another episode a long time ago. This is what's going to happen. Guys, what do you want for dinner tonight? And they're going to say nothing. Or you'll get this. Whatever you want is fine. And I say, that's bull crap. No, it's not fine. You all have opinions about what I cook when the meal is on the table. So if you want to ensure that there is something on the table that you are looking forward to, I need your ideas. So I started threatening lentil soup. I don't even know if I've ever made lentil soup, to be honest, but I threaten it all the time when nobody gives me suggestions. And it's amazing how many people come up with ideas when they think that they're going to have lentil soup five days a week. So all this to say is you are not on an island creating elaborate recipes and meal plans for your family. You should not be doing this on your own. If other people are going to be eating the food, they can contribute and participate in coming up with ideas. Now, if you are the one cooking, I would say it is your job to ensure balance. So if my kids are asking for homemade mac and cheese, I might pair that with grilled chicken and broccoli. So I'm making sure that, you know, there's healthier components on the plate to balance the um, the high fat content of the macaroni and cheese. So it's not that I won't make it. It's just I will make sure that it's a balanced meal when it's all said and done. Going back to giving my kids cookbooks, this is actually something that I found to be helpful. Um, this comes from, this tip comes from multiple Christmases in the past where Jim is not like a big toy guy. He never wanted to get the kids toys. He's like, we're not buying that cheap plastic crap for us to eventually just throw it away six months later. And I get what he was saying, but let's be honest. That's what kids want when they're younger. They want the cheap plastic crap. They want toys. 
but Jim did not want to give them toys. And I had to get real creative with gift ideas when you weren't buying toys. And so one year I got them cookbooks, like, you know, age appropriate cookbooks. And it actually ended up being a really great gift. They weren't super excited about it when they opened it. They're like, oh, good, a cookbook. But uh, it was actually a really good teaching moment. And those kids would go through those cookbooks often. Like, can we make this? Can we make this? Sure, absolutely. Why not? And so even though they weren't really excited about that gift to begin with, they actually would go through it and use it a lot more than you would think. And so cooking is a life skill. And you want to pass that life skill on to your child because eventually that child's going to be an adult and has to feed himself or herself. And so you want to teach this stuff to them because it's a life skill. That's how important it is. You may have heard me say before, I don't pack my kids' lunches. As soon as they get to first grade, they are responsible for packing their own lunch. Why? Because I work with too many adults that don't know how to pack their lunch. And I'm not going to let one of any one of my kids be one of them. I'm just not. I'm going to teach you how to pack a lunch. These are the components that need to be present. This is the amount that we should be packing. These are the ways we make our food safe, depending on what you're packing. If we need ice packs or certain containers so they don't get smashed, I'm teaching them how to do this. All right. So give your kids a cookbook. Maybe you don't give it to them for Christmas. <laughs> Maybe you just give it to them because it's Tuesday and that's a little kinder. Um, but I think getting the kids involved in the meal selection process takes some of that stress and pressure off of you to have to be this creative person every single week coming up with fancy, elaborate dinner options when you've got 10 minutes to put dinner on the table. Like, let's just stop putting that expectation on yourself um, because it's not, it's not reality. All right. Um, repurpose leftovers as much as possible. So when I was home with my kids, uh, so when the girls were really little and I stayed home with them, um, I would cook every night. I'd have a different meal every single night. And yeah, I had time to invest in it because I was home. Now that I work full time, I, I don't cook every single night. And reason being is I work two to three nights a week. So it's not even feasible for me to, to cook a meal. And Jim does his best, but his cooking is a lot more simple in nature. He's perfectly capable of cooking something more complicated. Um, but the reality is he wants it straightforward. So any opportunity I can to repurpose leftovers, I take advantage. So if we can grill two packs of chicken instead of one and then repurpose that chicken into Caesar salads the next night, chicken Caesar salads or tacos or um, if I can make meatballs one day and have pasta and meatballs, can I repurpose those meatballs into meatball sandwiches later on in the week? You know, where is an opportunity for you to cook once, eat twice? And again, if we're strategic can we make that eat twice night on a night where, you know, people are going in a hundred different directions and your answer to that before was let's just go stop and grab a pizza. Now we can get something a little bit healthier on your plate. 
So as much as possible, you know, looking ahead at what you have on hand, can you repurpose that so that you're not cooking all week long? Right. I know when we create meal plans for people in our office, they're like, oh yeah, I want to make seven different meals a week. And, and I want to commend them for their, (laughs) their drive. I'm like, okay, that's great. And I will give it to you, but you know, just realistic, maybe, you know, four times a week. And then are there opportunities that you can add more simple meals or add leftovers into your plan so that you're actually more likely to follow through with it? Uh, One tip that I found to be helpful for my husband is stove or oven as much as possible. So if you are not a well-seasoned cook and you're kind of starting out basic, try to find recipes where you're either on the stovetop or you're in the oven. I know when I give him recipes for the nights that I work at night, he's always like, stove or oven, pick a lane, not both. He's like, I can't be bothered doing all this stuff. So stove or oven, meaning like if you're going to bake chicken, Maybe it's just easier to bake potatoes and roast your vegetables at the same time. Like sheet pan dinners are absolutely great for this because you're putting everything in one pan and you're sticking it in the oven and you don't have to think twice about it. Um, if you're doing something on the stovetop because you're boiling something or sauteing it, can you find other ingredients that you're also sauteing or you're also boiling so that way you're not you know, you don't have 10 pots going on in every different direction. If you're making pasta and you're boiling your noodles, can you also throw in some broccoli and boil that at the same time and heat up your sauce? And then therefore, you know, your pasta and your broccoli is ready to go at this, you know, in one pot all together on the stove with minimal dishes to wash. That might be an you know, a higher end goal at first. But I just want you to be conscientious of that. You know, are there opportunities where you can, you know, either stay stovetop or oven, uh, pick a lane if cooking feels overwhelming. If you're more seasoned in the kitchen and you feel very comfortable in the kitchen, obviously, you know, you can have all sorts of gadgets going on at the same time. But, you know, if not, maybe keep it extremely simple. Another tip I have for you is keep all your recipes in one place. So if you are a recipe follower, and I fall into that category, I am starting to get a little bit more comfortable just throwing this and that into a pot and it coming out okay. But when I first started cooking, that was not the case. I was reading the recipes line by line, making sure everything was measured out appropriately, reading every step because I didn't want to mess it up. And um, yeah, I was a recipe collector. I was a recipe follower. And if that is you, uh, something that's really helpful to me is keeping all my recipes in one location. So when it's time to figure out what am I making for dinner this week, I only have one place to go. It's not, oh, where's the recipe for that? Which cookbook? What page? Uh, I was wasting way too much time going through unnecessary recipes to get to the ones that I actually wanted. So with that said, 
I'm going to share with you something that I do. I rip recipes out of cookbooks. I know. I was going to say, you can tell me, but no, there's nobody to tell. <laughs> right? They're my books. I can do what I want with them. And to be honest, when I pass on my recipes someday to, you know, maybe one of my kids want, want it or grandkids want it, they're actually going to be more thankful for my binder with all my recipes in it um, because they know that these are my tried and true recipes that we like versus going through all these cookbooks to realize, you know, there's only two in here that she ever used, right? I mean, cookbooks in my house are like, books are to other people. I have tons of them. I love cookbooks. I love reading them. I love cooking from them. But most of the time you find your tried and true recipes and then 80% of those books, those pages never get used. So why not just rip out the ones that you actually use and put them in one location? And I mark them all up. If I don't like the way it tastes because it's too salty or it needs more seasoning, I will mark up the cook the recipe page and put in the the um, ingredient amounts in the way that feels good to our family so you can do that you can rip things out of books and you can write on the pages now I put them in sheet protectors because I'm a messy cook and so I don't have to keep pulling recipes out and then putting them away afterwards I just have a three ring binder with a whole bunch of sheet protectors and I put my recipes in there. So all I have to do is scan the pages and it's good to go. So that might be something that's helpful to you. Are you spending too much time looking at a whole bunch of recipes when you could be streamlining the process and just picking out your four to five to make each week? Now, another tip that I have, especially for families, family-friendly meal planning, is once you create your list, make sure you post it for everyone to see. Make sure you put it in a place, whether it's on the refrigerator, whether it's on a chalkboard or a whiteboard or wherever um, your family has access to look at the meal plan. Make sure it's posted. You know, for me, it's the back of my homework sheet with a magnet stuck to it up on the refrigerator because I want everybody to know what to expect. And when they know what to expect, they complain less. You know, they can see, ugh, Fish tonight for dinner? I don't want fish. Oh, wait, tomorrow's tacos? Okay. All right, fine. Let's get this fish over with so we can get to tomorrow's tacos, right? They get their complaining out at the site of the paper and less at the dinner table after you've just poured your heart and soul into cooking a meal for the people and then they appear ungrateful. And they're not purposely trying to be ungrateful. They just... They had an expectation of what they were hoping dinner was and when it's not any of the foods that they were hoping for, they're going to be vocal about it. And that's what kids do. Okay, so make sure you post that plan. Uh, something so simple but yet so effective in getting your family to be on board. Plus, it's another opportunity for them to be like, oh, this isn't the meal I asked for tonight, but tomorrow is the recipe that I asked for. And again, less complaining. And guys, for a lot of us, less complaining is the win. I don't know if we can ever get to a place where there's no complaining, but I will take less complaining, right? <laughs> All right. Remember the three gray words. 
this I think is tip number nine. All right. Remember the three gray words. So gray words when it comes to nutrition are things like balance, moderation, and variety. This is the backbone to good nutrition. I remember my um, nutrition professor when I was in school had us write these three words at the top of a page. And she said, if you can figure out how to uh, connect these three words to your patient's diet, um, if they can fully grasp this concept, they're, you've done your job. They're going to do fantastic. But I call them gray words because they're not rules per se. And we like rules. Like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like, you know, eat fiber, don't eat too much sugar, you know, fat in moderation, more of this, less of this. Well, but more of what? Like, what is more? Is that this many grams? You know, what should I look for? We want the rules. And so anytime we're given guidelines and recommendations, but that looks different, your recommendation looks different than my recommendation, we throw our hands up in the air and we get really frustrated. So when it comes to meal planning, we've got to figure out what these three words mean for you and your family. Because again, what works for your family may not work the exact same for my family, and that is okay. We have different people, we have different needs, and so it's going to look a little different. We have overarching concepts that we can try to adhere to, but at the end of the day, we have to do what works best for our unique circumstances. So let's talk about these three gray words. They're not black or white words, they're gray words. So the first one's balance. What does balance look like? So again, I want you to imagine standing on a balance beam with your arms outstretched. At the end of the meal, do you have balance? You know, do you have some maybe more healthy foods coupled with some more flavorful, indulgent foods? Right? We aim to have balance at the end of our meals, but honestly, what's even more important is balance at the end of the day. So I was just having this conversation with a client this week. She was telling me how she's looking forward to um, a food truck where they're going to have lobster. And she said, don't even try to talk me out of it. I already know what I'm going to order. I want the lobster bisque and I want the um, lobster roll. And that is what I'm having for dinner. And I'm like, great. Okay, so what do we need to do earlier in the day so that at the end of the day we have balance? Right? If we look at lobster roll and we look at lobster bisque, those two foods are going to be higher in fat. right? Because you've got all that cream in the bisque and you've got all that mayonnaise in the lobster roll. You also got a lot of white refined grains because if you're eating like a hot dog roll, there's really no fiber, right? So let's look at the lobster roll. Let's look at the lobster bisque. What is it missing, right? It's missing fiber and it's missing fruits and vegetables. Okay, so knowing that, what do we need to eat earlier in the day to make up for the lack of fruits and vegetables and fiber that we're going to have at dinner. So we decided on eating oatmeal with fruit at breakfast and a big salad with some protein at lunch so that at the end of the day, she has balance. She's not cocked over to one side or the other. She it can stand perfectly straight. 
So ideally, the goal is to have balance at every meal, which would make you have balance for the day. But sometimes that can't happen just based off of the nature of the foods we're eating. And so then looking for balance from the whole entire day is going to be your next best option. But how can you balance some of your kids or your family members' favorite foods? So like I mentioned, if my kids want macaroni and cheese, I'm going to make something that's a little bit lighter in fat to balance out the fat content of the mac and cheese. Right? Look for opportunities to create balance. Typically, kids like foods that are higher in refined carbs, higher in fat, higher in sugar. So what do you need to pair with that that's higher in fiber, lower in sugars, lower in fat, and higher in produce? That's how you create balance at a meal. It's not an all or nothing. right? It's not fish, quinoa, and broccoli, or cheesesteaks and cheese fries. Like, I promise you, there's some balance between the two. Uh, I noticed today we went out to eat. My parents came up uh, after my girls played soccer. And we went out to eat. And uh, I noticed that some of my kids will pair up and be like, what do you want? And, you know, so the one kid, uh, like Parker got a cheeseburger and Bella ordered a salad. And they did half and half. I was so proud of them because, you know, they both wanted a burger, but they realized, you know, I don't necessarily want a whole burger. I might not feel good if I eat all that. So what salad do we want so that we get a little bit of both? Perfect, perfect example of balance. Moderation. What the heck does moderation look like? So a lot of times when we talk about meal planning, it's talking about the what, But something that we can also talk to about with our families is the how much, right? That's the moderation piece. And so are you talking about fullness cues with your kids? Are you teaching them what to look for in terms of how their body communicates fullness? And and is it okay to, to leave food behind? Are you pushing that they finish their meal? um, Or are you... Uh, encouraging them to take things home if they've had enough. So I'll use Bella as another example. Today we went out to eat and she did not finish her salad. And honestly, the amount of salad that she brought home probably wasn't worth bringing home. And Parker said to me, he's like, Mom, like she just asked for a to-go box. Are you really going to put that much salad in a to-go box? And I said, I am. I definitely am because this teaches her to listen to her fullness cues. This teaches her that to honor that and when she's had enough, we can take the rest home. Not, well, Bella, we're not going to take, you know, five bites home. So you might as well just finish it here because we're, you know, we're not going to take it home. And he was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right. So are you having those conversations with your kids so that they can self-monitor so they're not struggling with self-monitoring as adults? And are you giving them variety? And when I say variety, I want you to think color. That's probably the easiest way to describe variety. Yes, you want to give them maybe different preparation methods. You know, you don't always want to grill the chicken. Sometimes you can bake it or you can pan saute it or you can roast it. You, know, you can try different cuts of chicken. That would give you a variety just so you don't get bored. Uh, but for most of us, when it comes to family-friendly meal planning, we need to think color. 
Most kids like brown foods, brown, tan, white, you know, chicken nuggets, mashed potatoes, corn, you know, and there's a time and place for all those, those foods. They're, they're good foods. Um, but can we add more color to the plate? Can we add some deep greens or oranges and reds just so that we're getting more nutrients in their bodies? Not only for them, but for us too. And my biggest tip is, you know, just don't stop offering. I was working with a basketball team recently and creating meal plans for them. And I cannot tell you how many of these kids, you know, just shot down any type of produce. You know, like, I was like, okay, what fruits will you eat? What vegetables will you eat? And the lists were maybe three deep. I was like, what about cucumbers? No, I never had them. Pe- bell peppers? No, never had them. Or first, okay, let's be honest. When I say, oh, do you want a cucumber? Nope, don't like them. Bell pepper? Nope, don't like it. Then I got smart. Have you ever had it before? No, (laughs) right? A lot of times kids will say, I don't like it, but they've never tried it. So, you know, I don't think these parents, excuse me, started out not offering these kids different vegetables. I think they just got shot down so many times the parents stopped offering. And so keep offering, keep offering, keep offering. Eventually they will take it. Um, so keep putting colors on the plate, keep showing them that it's not going anywhere, right? You're not a short order cook. You're not cooking four different meals for everybody. You're not a restaurant. And the more exposure they get to foods, the more they see it's not going anywhere, the more likely they are to eventually try it. All right. Last tip. How are we doing here? Doing pretty good. Last tip is only prepare one new recipe every one to two weeks. Only try one new recipe every one to two weeks. So I've made this mistake plenty of times. I will get all excited and I will declare new recipe week. And every day for that week, I will try a brand new recipe that nobody in my family has ever had exposure to. And every time I do it, it backfires, right? Kids do not like new things, especially new things on their plates. It's overwhelming. It shuts them down. Oh, goodness. One time, this wasn't about a new food. It was a volume of food. I remember Bella was probably like three or four. And every night at dinner, she would cry. And I'm like, Bella, what is wrong? And she would just sit there and cry. She wouldn't eat. She would just sit and cry. And this went on for like two weeks, and I was so frustrated. I'm like, what is wrong? Do you not like the food? I know she liked it because I've cooked it before, and she ate it. Um, But for whatever reason, she was just a mess every time it was dinner time. And finally, after two aggravating weeks, she was like, you put too much on my plate. I was like, what? Too much on your plate? Like, Bella, that's an easy fix. I can put less on your plate. I, I just put, you know, a spoonful of each on your plate to somewhere to start. But she was so overwhelmed by the volume to the point where she wouldn't eat at all. And again, small people are a little irrational at times. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense in their heads, but it doesn't make sense to us. And sometimes when you offer all new recipes during a week's time, It's not that they won't like the food or they don't like the food. It's just they're overwhelmed by all the newness. 
And because they don't necessarily have the language to communicate well, they either just shut down and don't eat at all, or they complain. So as much as possible, don't make that mistake that I did. Like one new recipe every week to every two weeks is usually the right pace in getting them to try it and to um, enjoy it, right? So no new recipe week. That didn't, that didn't work well. All right. Um, and on, on the other side of that, it takes some of the pressure off of you to always be trying new things and to always be innovative and creative. If you only have to come up with one new recipe every two weeks, that's only two recipes a month, right? That feels a lot more doable than revamping your whole entire uh, database of recipes that you may have used. I know when people come to me, that's a fear they have. Like, I'm not going to be able to cook some of my favorite recipes. I'm going to have to try all these new foods that I don't like. You know, it's overwhelming for adults too. So one new recipe every one to two weeks is, is a good pace. All right. Those are my tips for family-friendly meal planning. If you need more help with this, we do snack and meal planning sessions with our clients at Body Metrics. So if you're struggling to find recipes, if you're struggling to figure out how to take four people's very specific food preferences and filter them into a cohesive meal plan, we can do that. We work with a program that has over 4,000 recipes where we can filter preferences or uh, time to prepare the meals, cooking time, um, even your comfort level in the kitchen, as well as your health goals. And we basically put all those parameters into a computer and, you know, out of 4,000 recipes, we can find a few. I promise you. And so sometimes, you know, we're just out of ideas, you know, my daughter won't eat this, my son won't eat this, my husband won't eat this, and I won't like this. I don't know what's left. Well, I'll just put all those exclusions into the database, and it usually dumps out a ton of ideas. So I don't want you to be discouraged if you have a lot of opinions and preferences when it comes to meal planning. Please let us help you. That's what we're here for. All right. Okay, let's do your recipe of the week. So this is a family-friendly uh, chicken tender recipe with a honey mustard sauce. So for this, you're going to need a pound of chicken tenders, a tablespoon of olive oil, a half a cup of quick oats, a tablespoon of Italian seasoning, and a half a teaspoon of salt. And then for the honey mustard sauce, you're going to need a quarter cup of Dijon mustard, and three tablespoons of honey. Uh, first, you're gonna preheat your oven to 400 degrees and go ahead and line a baking sheet with parchment paper. You're gonna brush the chicken with the olive oil and then in a bowl, combine your oats, Italian seasoning, and salt. Combine that with a spoon and then spread that on a plate. I usually use a paper plate just for easy cleanup. You're gonna press both sides of the chicken into the oat mixture and place it on your sheet pan. And then you're gonna bake for 30 minutes, turning halfway at the halfway point. And then for your honey mustard sauce, that's real simple. You're just gonna combine the honey and mustard in a bowl and serve it with the chicken. And that's it. 
Homemade chicken tenders are a great bridge food. When I say bridge food, it's bridging, you know, from either McDonald's chicken nuggets or store-bought chicken nuggets to, you know, a plain chicken. You know, a bridge food is is bridging the gap. It's, you know, something that kind of tastes like what they're familiar to, but cooking it in a healthier way. And so this recipe is great for, you know, for those kids that strongly prefer chicken nuggets at every meal. This might be a healthier version for the whole family to enjoy. All right, guys, that's what I have for you today. I hope you have a fantastic week. Again, if you need any help with meal planning, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Your insurance plans most likely will cover those visits, so it will be um, little to out of little to no out-of-pocket cost for you, which is fantastic. All right, I'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Bodymetrics Health. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.